ಭದ್ರಂ ಕರ್ಣೇ ಶೃಣುಯಾ ಭದ್ರಂ ಪಶ್ಯೇಮಾಕ್ಷಿರೈರಂಗೈಸ್ತುವಾಗಂಸನೂಭಿ ವ್ಯಶೇಮ ಸ್ವಸ್ತೀನ ಇಂದ್ರೋ ವೃದ್ಧಸ್ರವಾ ಸ್ವಸ್ತೀನ ಪೂಷಾ ವಿಶ್ವೇದಾ ಸ್ವಸ್ತೀರ್ಣಸ್ತಾಕ್ಷೋರಿಷ್ಟನೇಮಿ ಸ್ವಸ್ತಿನೋ ಬೃಹಸ್ಪತಿರ್ದಾತು ಓಂ ಶಾಂತ ಶಾಂತ ಶಾಂತಿ May we hear with our ears what is auspicious. May we see with our eyes what is auspicious. While praying with steady limbs, may we attain the lifespan allotted to us. May Indra bestow well-being on us. May Pushan, the God of the earth, who is all-knowing, bestow well-being on us. May Garuda, the destroyer of evil, bestow well-being on us. May Brihaspati also bestow well-being on us. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. So in the last class, we were studying the 8th, 9th and the 10th mantras. of the second chapter of first part of mundakopanishad which deals with the happiness in the lower heaven abodes which are attained through the fire sacrifices and philanthropic works the philanthropic works of course is associated with desires the same philanthropic works when it is done without any desire it helps in chitta shuddhi and helps in attaining the brahma gyana but when the same philanthropic activities is done with the desires it along with the fire sacrifices results in the attainment of have, happiness in the lower heavens we find that the various strata of heaven has been described in the vedas but the highest heaven has been indicated as the brahma loka now how to attain the brahma loka which is the which is something which is the highest that can be attained by any type of sacrifices any type of contemplation upasana by some sort of upasana we can attain that brahma loka that's the highest plane which is attainable and how to attain that brahma loka or the realm of hiranyagarbha that will be described in the 11th mantra so how to attain the highest heaven so let us read the mantra and then we will go to the discussion the 11th mantra of the second chapter of the first part of mundaka parishad tapasraddhi ye hi 
उपवसंती अरण्य शांता विद्वांसो भैक्षचर्या चरंत सूर्य द्वारेन ते विरजा प्रयांति यत्र अमृतः सह पुरुषो ही अव्ययात्मा सो द वाइज मेन ऑफ ट्रैंक्विल माइंड्स एज हैज बीन इंडिकेटेड बाय द फ्रेज शांता विद्वांस विद्वान इज अ वाइज मैन बट दैट विजडम is not merely the result of academic knowledge that wisdom has already been internalized as a total overhauling of his personality so that he has become very calm tranquil so he is a person of tranquil mind reading the scriptures he has internalized them it was not just meant for his intellectual satisfaction those values has been internalized so as if to overhaul his personality and he has been is transformed being he doesn't lose his equipoise in any situation of life so he is shanta so shanta vidwangsa so what he does he he lives in the forest on arms upavasanti aranye भैक्षचर्या चरंत सो उपवसंती अरण्ये ही मोस्ट प्रोबेबली वॉज ए हाउस होल्डर हू आफ्टर द हाउस होल्ड हिज कॉम्प्लीशन ऑफ हिज हाउस होल्ड ड्यूटीज द वैदिक सोसायटी गेव द प्रेस्क्रिप्शन दर वट वॉज परमिटेड वंस द रेस्पॉन्सिबिलिटीज ऑफ द गृहस्थ इज ओवर the children have grown up the children have grown up they are now the responsible beings of the society the parents do have the right to retire the society is not supposed to expect anything from them neither do they expect anything from the society now they go for the cultivation of the higher values of life to try to find out the meaning of life the purpose of life all the worldly accomplishments has been all accomplished so now he goes to that phase of life for that that retirement is the thing which was prescribed in the forests there used to be the ashramas where they resorted they resorted to those forest this this forest ashramas relinquishing their hearth and home and start that new phase of journey in their life the process that 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 phase is known as the vanaprastha leading to sanyasa it is this phase of life which has been spoken of here that who live in the forest on arms upavasanti aranye bhikshacharya charantah so we find very interesting thing the society was structured in such a way the grihastha was the nodal point he was the earning member he used to sustain the other three ashramas the brahmacharya the young ones who are students they are sustained by the grihastha as well as the vanaprasthis and the sanyasis so he was the nodal point who used to sustain the all the three ashramas so that's why this the 
practice of bhiksha was there. That if I am to keep myself free from all the worldly endeavors, then how to sustain myself? The society was structured in such a way that the householder was responsible for sustaining the other three ashramas so that they can be free enough for the higher pursuits of life. So it's a wonderful structure. So Upavasanti Aranye Bhaiksha Charya Charanta. So they lived on the forest on arms. And what they used to do there, it's not a very uh, just the retirement life with all the amenities and facilities of the present day. We do have retirement village and we may say that we are Vanaprastas in the retirement village, but in that in no way reflects the real Vanaprastas because in the present day, the old age home, you have all the amenities of the modern life. You, though you are maybe away from your family in those retirement village, still you are connected with the internet, TV, and all those things are there, which in no way speaks of the detached life. So here it has been spoken of, that they have detached, not only that, now they lead a life of tapas, austerity, practicing austerities. And tapa and sraddha, these two should go hand in hand. Austerity speaks of detachment. But in this life we will find there are some depressed, psychologically depressed person who as if seems to be not interested in anything. Do that entail spiritual evolution? No. So this detachment, this apparent detachment from all the amenities of life should be associated with sraddha. That sraddha speaks of the faith in the scriptures, faith in the words of Guru, which entails the faith of the dimension of the spiritual dimension of existence, faith in that. So you have faith. You have start contemplating on the deities like Hiranyagarbha, the Ishwar, the God, who speaks of that spiritual dimension of our existence. So Tapa and Sraddha, this should go hand in hand. So they retire to the forest, lead a life of tapas and a life of sraddha, which speaks of devotion, contemplation, detachment and contemplation. So such, this, such wise men of tranquil minds who live in the forest on arms and practice austerities and contemplation, when they die, depart, they're being freed from all the impurities because of tapa and sraddha. That the word viraja in the sloka, the viraja speaks of getting rid of all the impurities. Their psyche is cleansed. The psychophysical existence is cleansed by tapa and sraddha. And when they die, as they have cleansed themselves, then they are carried by the path of the sun means through illumination, the path of Surya Dwarena to the place where that immortal person in all the dualistic religion, the idea of God, heaven, where God dwells. So the same idea we find in the idea of Brahma Loka, 
immortal person avyayatma avyaya means that which never perishes the one who is immortal the one who is dwelling in that loka so you are transported to that loka by the path of illumination and by being freed of all the impurities so this is the highest goal which we can which one can attain through upasana previously they spoke of sacrifices and philanthropic activities now this is another mode of life way of life where it's not those elaborate sacrifices i have relinquished them they were meant for the grihastha i have now more contemplative that's sacrifices do help in contemplation those who do ritualistic worship they will understand how then if i have done ritualistic worship for years together then a time comes when i am not doing the ritualistic worship just by thinking of the entire process of the ritualistic worship as just by contemplating on it you immediately feel uplifted the same uh, upliftment which you used to feel while doing the thing now you have developed that sanskara just by visualizing it you feel very uplifted spiritually uplifted that speaks of the upasana so i have already done those ritualistic worship for long they have developed it has been developed into sanskara and i can easily visualize them and just by visualizing i get the result when we were in india we were in belurmat taking part in all the activities there busy with the life there now when we are away from it just by seeing the pictures of belurmat or just by contemplating on the life which we have spent in belurmat gives us a feeling of upliftment the same thing for the same reason we go to the pilgrimage we go to the pilgrimage and spend few days in that holy atmosphere and that's the thing which goes deep into our psyche and remains there as sanskara much later even in older age just the remembrance of that can bring a tremendous transformation in your mind it can make your mind tranquil it can give you a sense of fulfillment so that's the same idea behind this upasana that grihastha as a grihastha i did all those elaborate rituals and worships now as a vanaprasthi i just think of them contemplate on them and that leads me to a deep contemplation and that contemplation is associated with tapa i try to dissociate myself from all the entanglements of life so this will result in attainment of the brahmaloka so the the word vidwansa here means the wise man it refers to the worshipper of the saguna brahma the hiranyagarbha the concept of ishwara it is a saguna brahma the pious holders householders and those who have retired from the world the vanaprasthis as well as the monks who contemplates of the saguna brahma for them this is the highest goal which is being mentioned there are monks who contemplate on the nirguna aspect of brahman who thinks who constantly contemplate on 
the essence of their being, the Atman, which is one with Brahman. Those sannyasins are not spoken of here. It is those sannyasins or the Vanaprasthins who are the worshippers of the Saguna Brahma. For them, this is the path which is being described here with this lead to the Brahmaloka. Shanta, the word Shanta, as we told, it speaks of the tranquil minds, which is the result of Shama and Dhamma. The control of the mind followed by the control of the senses. So it is not that we forcefully withdraw our senses from the objects. First, we have to convince our mind that this is something which is beneficial for my spiritual journey. The constant inordinate attachment to the pleasures of life distracts my mind, makes me obsessed, that doesn't allow me to focus on the object of my meditation. So I have to relinquish them by will, not because someone is saying, or not because I will be criticized for certain action, but willfully to lead a better life, to bet the, the life which entails in spiritual evolution. So first I have convinced my mind, that is Shama. Then the Dhamma, the control of the sense organs follows. So without this, no deep spiritual experience is possible without this inner serenity, which comes through the practice of Shama and Dhamma. And that is being indicated by the word Shanta. Those who are of tranquil mind. They have attained that tranquility by the practice of the control of the mind and the control of the senses. Shama and Dhamma. Tapa speaks of austerities. Austerities do play a great role in tranquilizing the mind. How it plays a great role? That austerity speaks of willfully relinquishing the things which is constantly engaging me with the sense objects. Just to say, just to give an example, fasting is an austerity. How it helps? Now, if I think of meditating throughout the day, just say that today is a special day, I will meditate. I won't allow the, any distractions to come in. From the morning I start, I meditate, I spend some good time in reading, again I meditate, maybe sing some bhajans, do some chanting, meditate. But then I will find by the noon time, I'm terribly hungry. And once I take the food, my body will be lethargic. Now another three, four hours is gone. So that my intention, my resolution to spend the entire day in deep contemplation gets interrupted the moment I take the foot and I go to the lethargy. So how to extend my period of sadhana? How can I extend? By tapas. Let me take a resolution that on certain days, say ekadashi, I will fast throughout the day. At the beginning, that hunger is going to torment me. It won't allow me to keep my mind tranquil. That hunger, the pangs of hunger, how can it, how can you meditate with the pangs of hunger? But we have to perseveringly practice that fasting for consecutive few ekadashis. And then we will find a wonderful thing is happening. What is that? That you don't feel the pangs of hunger on the hours when you're supposed to have it, maybe at the lunchtime or something. What has happened? 
that it is a feedback mechanism. This hunger is actually a biological alarm system. Hunger, thirst, that when the body needs food in the form of the pangs of hunger, it gives an alarm, take food. So when I ignore that alarm, that the alarm system in the body gets reprogrammed. That if the alarm is there, I'm not yielding to the alarm, the alarm system gets reprogrammed. So what happens that even that it's a time for your food, but as you have already practiced that feedback mechanism system now won't make you feel hungry. And that's, that's how you can still prolong your practices. So now you will understand why tapa is necessary for the tranquility of the mind. To have a qualitative uh, spiritual endeavor, engagement, involvement, absorption for prolonged time, austerity do play a great role in our spiritual journey. At the beginning, it will be tormenting, but the same thing when it becomes a part of our feedback mechanism, so that the total biological alarm system, the biological clock has changed. Now you will find the so-called bodily feelings are not disturbing you anymore for the time being. You can prolong. So that's how it helps in keeping your mind tranquil for longer and longer periods. Once you have done that, along with tapa comes sraddha, contemplation. So tapa takes care of our immediate inordinate desires. And sraddha takes care of our, it's a long-term effect in the, in building up the tranquility of the mind. To be shanta, tapa is the short term. Immediately, the pangs of hunger is disturbing me with the austere, I can get rid of it. But there is not, not only one inordinate attachment. There are thousands of inordinate attachments. Today, it is the hunger which is disturbing me. Tomorrow, some other attachments will be disturbing me. How to get rid of all of them? So the immediate things which are disturbing me, I get rid of, I get rid of them by tapas. And all other which are still hidden, maybe it's not manifested now. If it gets favorable circumstances, so many other desires may manifest and disturb my mind. For that, I have to practice sraddha, the contemplation. How it helps? As we told that when we are practicing contemplation, I'm trying to keep my focus in one thought. What happens? At the beginning, my mind is not habituated in doing that. I have to go on doing it repeatedly. The same practice every day, the same mantra, the same visualization, every day I'm doing. How it helps? We have discussed so many times that the, in the, the mind is playing the trick with us. How? That whatever we do today out of necessity, when we go on doing it out of necessity again and again, it becomes a habit. Once it becomes a habit, it as if creates a path in your mind. And once the path is created, the mind has a tendency to traverse that path without uh, even without the necessity. It just develops an inordinate liking to traverse that path. That gives it happiness. 
That's how we got bound with innumerable desires. All of them were necessities, but by resorting to them again and again, lives together, we were doing that. They have that because of neuroplasticity, they have created a path in our mind. And now there is no need for the necessity just to traverse that has become our obsession. So it has got converted into as if like OCD in the present day psychological language, obsessive compulsive disorder. We go on doing the same thing again and again without any purpose. And that's why in the gospel we find Sri Ramakrishna is saying, Kamini Kanchan Maya. Kamini Kanchan is the Maya, the dollar king and the sex queen. That's what one of our Swami is to uh, translate. Swami uh, Asheshananda, the disciple of Swami Sharadananda. He was very revered Swami. So that's how he used to translate. So that's the thing which is ruling the world. But we find that the both are the things which are necessity. But what has happened from bacteria till the human being, all have done it repeatedly out of necessity and that has got converted into inordinate attachment. So that's how the mind takes us spirally downwards. That's the way of the mind. Now how to use this limitation as, how can we make this negativity into convert it into something positive? We can do it by resorting to the practice of contemplation on a particular deity, say the Hiranyagarbha or Ishwara. When I'm doing it repeatedly, this repeated attempt, though I may be successful, may not be successful at the beginning, but this repeated attempt is creating a path in my mind. As a result of what will happen, once the path is created, a liking will develop. Today's resolution will get converted into tomorrow's devotion. You don't, you won't need resolution anymore. You won't have to use your willpower anymore. It will, that will has got converted into devotion. And once it has got converted into devotion, what will happen? You like doing it. But once you develop the liking for this particular type of contemplation, now it will have a marvelous effect. Why? Because this repetitive action is qualitatively different from all other obsessions. All the obsessions which I have developed through the various lives, they were all dependent on something external. Maybe it is wealth, maybe it is relation, maybe it is position in life, maybe it's power, whatever it is, it is something external to me. As a result, all those endeavors were associated with worries. Why? That till I don't get them, till I don't achieve the thing I want, that I had that anxiety, I may not get it. Once I get it, again that anxiety is there. I may lose it. Whether it is relation, whether it is wealth, whether it is position and power in life. But this new liking, the contemplation, it is something which is intrinsic. It doesn't depend on something external. The moment I start contemplating, because of my repeated practice, it has created a path in my mind that neuroplasticity has set in and I have developed a liking for that. Now, no one can take away from me, whatever may be the situation of life. So as a result, 
it is qualitatively different from all other attachments. So now what happens, this becomes, as this is something which is not associated with any sort of stress, anxiety, tension, we incline to resort to it more and more. And this acts as the, 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 what you say, the pratipaksha, the contending factor to all other desires. Because if any desire is without any worries and tension, why should I resort to those which are associated with worries, tensions? So this is the path which I traverse again and again. So now you will understand how Shraddha helps in developing the tranquility in the long term. Tapa as a short term goal and Shraddha is a long term goal. So these two together will help us to develop the tranquility in the long run. Nothing can disturb. Immediately the things which are is disturbing me through tapas, through austerity, I try to get rid of them. And there are so many other things which is not immediately disturbing me. But if the situation of life changes, they will manifest and they will come, they will start disturbing me. So I have to develop this contemplation and a liking for that, which won't allow the other desires, even if they have the fertile ground, to sprout. Because this liking is something which contents them qualitatively totally different. Why should I resort to something which will result in worries and tension and anxieties? So tapa sraddha together helps me to develop that shan, that tranquility, the shanta nature. And when you have developed this tranquility, then what happens? As you are not resorting to the old ways of life, the old mental modules, in no way can disturb you anymore. So they start falling off. Just the way that the examples which we give again and again, when if you are feeding the birds every day in the morning, they come every day. If you stop, these birds are like the mental modules. They won't stop immediately. For a few days, they will go on coming with the, acceptation, with the expectation that you may again give them the grains. But if you persist, if you don't yield to their demand, after a few days, they will get the feedback that there is no use in going and pestering him, that person. He is not going to yield anymore. They will stop coming. This speaks of getting freed of the impurities. Once your mind is tranquil, gradually the impurities will start falling off. Viraja. The past samskaras are consumed by this tapa and sraddha. So this speaks of the purity of mind. When you have at, attained this purity, what has happened now? Now I have entered into a state of flow. In deep contemplation, you forget everything. You experience a state of videha, though in the body as if you are beyond the body. All the bodily feelings are not disturbing you anymore. So what happens after death? It is all these bodily feelings, all those biological clocks and alarms that gravitates us down again to this physical plane of existence. But as I have entered into the flow 
through the process of purification. And I can remain absorbed in contemplation without yielding to the bodily feelings. After death, nothing is there to gravitate me down. That state of flow takes me to the higher and higher realm, at last leading me to the Brahmaloka, where I can continue with my contemplation till the end of the present Kalpa. So as we as been indicating that you go to the Loka, which is where the Amrita Purusha resides. Amrita Purusha, the one, the immortal being. So we have to remember that this immortality which has been spoken of here is relative. That with the present cycle, when that absolute reality finds expression as the collective mind, as the Ishwara, that Ishwara continues till the project, till this creation is projected. With the dissolution of the creation, the Ishwara also, along with the creation, merges in the Absolute. So here, Amrita Purusha means the relative immortality of Ishwara, of Hiranyavarpa, of Brahma, till the present cycle is complete. So when you go to that loka, you enjoy that bliss of contemplation till the end of this kalpa, where the universe is dissolved, then along with Ishwara and in the Brahma Loka, you get merged in the absolute, never to come back again in the next cycle. That leads to the ultimate liberation. So this is the process of Krama Mukti, gradual liberation. The one who has realized the self is immediately liberated. The moment you have in this life, it is possible by constantly contemplating on yourself, by constantly thinking that you are the self, you're not the body, not the mind, not the senses, you're the Atman. But this type of contemplation can lead to the realization which, is, which, will, which will lead to the immediate liberation. Means when the, when the body falls off, as long as you are alive, you will enjoy the state of Jivan Mukti. And when you die, immediately you are liberated. But the others who are contemplating on Ishwara, they also will be liberated at the end of the cycle. Till the end of the cycle, they will enjoy the bliss of contemplation in Brahmaloka. As there is no bodily feelings are no more disturbing him. There is no need for him to gravitate down again to this physical plane of existence. So thus this mantra describes the process of Krama Mukti. So apart from Saguna Brahma Upasaka, even the Nirguna Brahma Upasaka, the one who is contemplating on the self, they also can uh, attain the Brahma Loka if they have not attained to the attain the realization by at contemplating on the Atman that I am the self, you have entered into a state of bliss where still you exist with your mind to enjoy the bliss. This is the thing we have to understand. When I when by just by repeating that I am Atman, I am Brahman, and this repetition gives me a sense of bliss. There's this there's something which we should remember. Who is saying I am Atman? This is still the mind. You have not gone beyond the mind. 
So it is also a type of contemplation which has not resulted in the ultimate realization. So it's not that only the Saguna Brahma Upasaka grows to the Brahma Loka. Even the so-called Jnani, the Nirguna Brahma Upasaka, for him also, it may lead to Brahma Loka if his contemplation has resulted in bliss but not in the ultimate realization where the ego has to fall off totally to merge him in that absolute. That hasn't happened. He's, he's still kept that ego to enjoy the bliss of contemplation. Maybe it on Ishwara or maybe it on the idea that you are the Brahma. You're one with the Brahma, whatever it may be. As long as the bliss, we are, we are attached to the bliss, it will lead to that highest loka. But we need not come back from there. As that bliss is something so engrossing that it has enabled me to enter into such a de- such a intense flow that the bodily feelings are not there to disturb me anymore. All the inordinate attachments, they've fallen off because of this deep contemplation. So it is all those this bodily needs like need to take food, need to procreate, that brings us down. As they are no more that disturb them, disturb them, they are no more there because of the deep contemplation. They remain in that loka, enjoying the bliss in the end of the cycle. So this is the highest loka, is the highest attainment that is possible in this relative world. So now, after stating that, in the 12th mantra, now the real Upanishad starts. After thoroughly just giving an overview of all the paths which can be attained through Apara Vidya. Apara means the lower knowledge. You will, as, as you may recapitulate, the Upanishad started with that, where the Guru is instructing the Shishya in two types of knowledge Apara Vidya and Para Vidya, lower and the higher knowledge. So till now, what has been described in short was the Aparavidya. Now from the 12th mantra, the Paravidya, the, the disciplines which will result in, will result in getting established in that Paravidya is being described from the 12th mantra. So the discipline of those blessed aspirants who turn away from all relative existence, which is characterized by action and its result. So in this world, that's what we we constantly, what is this? We are bound in the cycle of avidya kama karma. Because of ignorance, I have forgotten my real nature. I think though I am fulfilled, I think I am unfulfilled. I need something for fulfillment. And that's is entering in all the actions, desires results in actions, actions results in results, so, and actions results in karma. So this cycle goes on from life together, avidya, kama, karma. So unless that we have turned away from the relative world, which is characterized by this cycle of avidya, kama, karma, there cannot be the attainment of that highest realization in which I get merged with the absolute reality. So the 12th mantra will speak of the disciplines which can lead us to
to that ultimate journey. So what's that sloka? Now let us go to that mantra, the 12th mantra of the second chapter of the first part of Mundaka Upanishad. Pariksha Lokan Karma Chitan Brahmanu Nirvedam Ayat Na Asti Akrita Kritena Tat Vigyanartham Sagurum Eva Abhigachet Samit Pani Srotriyam Brahmanishtam. So Pariksha Lokan Karma Chitan Brahmanu. So let the Brahmin Brahmana. So here we should not mistake the word Brahmin as a caste. The one who contemplates on Brahma is a Brahmin. The one who is born in a Brahmin family and is engaged in worldly activities is not a Brahmin. The real Brahmin is one who is contemplating on Brahma. The word Brahmin has been derived from that. The one who contemplates on Brahma is a Brahmana. So such a Brahmana who has examined Pariksha Lokan Karma Chitan. He has examined all the worlds that can be attained through Karma. Pariksha Lokan. Pariksha means to examine Lokan, all the worlds, as has been described till the 11th mantra. He has examined them, which, are, which can be attained through Karma. Now, he has developed detachment that it cannot give me that ultimate liberation. So, by examining that detachment has developed, so that is being indicated by the word free that nirvedam. Nirvedam means he's free from desires. Ayat, he has acquired that freedom from desires by thoroughly investigating all the attainments that is possible through karma. He has developed that total freedom from the desires, nirvedam ayat. But why he has developed? Because he has realized na asti akrita kritena. That which is beyond all actions, akrita. It exists by its own right. In this life, that why we do action? Because, there, because of four types of results as has been described nicely by Shankaracharya, that all our actions results in four types of results. What are they? Utpadya. You create something. As in the case of a potter making a pot, he creates the pot. Or it may be apya, attainment. It may be utpadya, creation, or apya, attainment. Like you want to go to certain place. So this reaching the destination, that's the attainment. That speaks of apya. The actions can lead me to attain the destination. It can help me to create something. Vikarya, transformation. Just the way the curd gets transformed into milk. So this transformation, so many transformations, so many types of transformations can happen through actions, vikarya, and purification, sangskarya, like the smelting of gold. These are the examples which Shankaracharya resorts to. Keeping in mind the old days, these are the examples. But even you will find these are the four things which defines our work even today. Either we want to create something or we want to attain something or we, the, we want some transformation 
renovation, or we want to purify. So that's why these actions are required. But why Brahman is Akrita? Because he's eternal. The thing which is eternal cannot be created. It was, it is, it will be. So the question of creation is not applicable to Brahman. Apya, attainment. When uh, you are going from one place to another, that speaks of attainment. But the thing which is omnipresent, which is non-local, which has no locality, which is everywhere. Where is the question of this going to a destination by some action? So again, Brahman is Akrita as per its Apya aspect is concerned, as per the attainment is concerned. This again, Brahman is Avikarya. You cannot transform. It is as it is. It is in the eternal present. The six, all the six transformations, Jayate, Asti, Vardhate, Viparinamate, Apakshyate, Nasti, that anything which exists is born at a certain point of time. It is Jayate, Asti, it exists for a certain time amount of time. For the time being, it appears to grow. Vardhate. Then transformation starts, Viparinamate. And then the decay process starts, Apakshyate. And then the death comes, annihilation comes, Nasti. But for Brahman, there's no transformation. He's in the eternal present. That non-local, non-dual consciousness. That eternal present without any transformation. So through action, the question of transformation doesn't arise in him. And he's eternal, ever pure. There's no question of sanskara, purification. So that's why how nicely Sankaracharya says that Brahman is Akrita. In this world, whatever we attain is through action. Because we want to attain something, uh, we want to create something or attain something or transform something or purify something. And that's what results in all the action. And Brahman is beyond that. He's Akrita. So these, by Pariksha Lokan, by examining all the various strata of existence, which all depends on karma, because the karma, through the karma, we can get the thing which we don't have, we can attain. But Brahman is always there. There is no transformation. So how can something which is Akrita be attained through action? So that's what is indicated by the word na asti akrita kritena. I cannot attain the thing which is beyond action by action. So how nice the Upanishad just see. Very simple, profound truth speaking in simple language. So once they have realized that, the vairagya has dawned in enough of this world. I want to get established in the way of life that can take me beyond this relative existence. So for that, what they do? Tat vigyanartham. So in order that may understand that eternal reality, the ultimate reality, tat vigyanartham, to know that, to realize that, to get established in that. So what they do? Sagurum eva abhigachit. They used to resort to some guru. Samitpani srotriyam brahmanishtam. They used to resort to the guru how? 
with some firewood in their hand. In those days, in the ashramas, they used to have these fire sacrifices. So as a service to the guru, to show their humility, they used to carry this firewood. That I want to help you. That firewood is actually indicate is an indication of seva. That in all ways they will be doing service to the guru, so that he is pleased. He doesn't have to take care of the worldly things. We take care, and he takes care of our spiritual needs. So that's the idea behind the samit pani. It speaks of the humility of the disciple with which he approaches the guru. Which is intention to serve the guru. And what's the quality of the guru? The guru must be srotriyam brahmanishtam. Srotriyam means he, ha- he must have learned the scripture thoroughly. But again, it is not just mere academic knowledge. That study of the scripture has transformed him, has transformed his pers- personality so that he has constantly having that nishtha, perseverance in contemplation of the Brahman, Brahma Nishtham, Brahma Nishtha, devoted to Brahman. So he should be well versed in the Vedas and should be devoted in Brahman. That naturally speaks of renunciation of all world, worldly desires. If you are devoted to something, how can you take care of the other things? When in ordinary life, we find that a person is in love with someone, the entire world becomes immaterial to him. That love is something so all engrossing. So if it happens with the worldly love, how to speak of one who has developed the tremendous devotion for getting established in that absolute reality. So for him, the worldly desires is bound to fall off. So he has well versed in the scriptures, he has relinquished all the desires, and he is engaged in contemplation of the Brahman. Such are the qualities of the guru. When one finds such a guru, one should approach him with all humility. So now, this is the idea which is being indicated in this sloka. So this Samitpani, as we told, this it, it actually speaks of not only the firewood, they used to do all the manual jobs for the guru, like fetching water, tending the cattle, and rendering him all other forms of this personal service. So this, through this, he cultivated humility, reverence, and devotion to the guru. And this abhigachet, going to the guru, you may say, is, is guru really needed? If I have the resort to the scriptures, but by reading the scriptures, I have the idea of the scriptures. I can do my spiritual practice by my own. What is the need of Guru? So we should know that a candle can be ignited only by another light. Light enkindles another light. So you need a life to enkindle another life. Just let us take a common example. When that if you want to drive the car to a particular destination, you, you use the GPS. The GPS is like the scripture. 
but is gps alone uh, sufficient to take you to the destination unless you are skilled in driving and for getting skilled in driving even in the present day as long as you having the learner's license when you are a student you cannot drive alone there has to be someone with the driver's license sitting beside you so the gps alone cannot take you to the destination you have to learn driving and for learning driving you need a guru so now just even for this ordinary this mundane thing like learning driving you even the world won't even the government even the the what you say the the road rules won't allow you to drive just by reading the uh, what you say the uh, the manual just by reading the manual how to drive you say i know the thing and i can start driving it's not possible the guru has to be there to make you aware of all the loopholes the pitfalls and to warn you at each and every step where you may be committing mistake so in spiritual life that way guru is something very essential as at present we are full of desires our mind doesn't have that broad outlook our mind is is already biased by all those desires it is having a very narrow vision the guru has the broad vision just when i am driving for the first time i now and then forget the rules maybe i have learned the driving just i think just to hold the steering and start the vehicle and go is what has to be learned but all the thing that when i am taking the right turn where what how i have to where i have to see where I have to look at when to look at the rear mirror how to park the car for every step i have i need that one who is already adept in that without his guidance who has the broad vision of the entire a process of driving without his guidance at every step i will be doing mistake similarly in spiritual journey the guru is the one who through this tapah and shraddha has been established in the higher realms of a spiritual journey so his vision is much more broader he can help me to find out the shortfalls the pitfalls we constantly go on justifying ourselves in our life the guru can pinpoint that the way you are justifying is not correct there is some subtle uh, weakness desire lurking behind your mind which you don't realize and you feel you have quite justified in what you are doing and the guru is there to help you out to find out all those subtleties in the spiritual journey that how the mind is befooling us so that's why abhigachit to go to the guru is very important now what is the quality of the guru that's been indicated here shrotriyam and brahmanishtam he should be well versed in the scriptures that is he should he himself should know all the rules of the driving and not only that brahmanishtam he should be all always devoted to brahman so as per the above example he should be a skilled driver to be always devoted to brahman 
to be always contemplating. It's not mere words. You try it, you will find it is impossible. The one who has done that, he has already developed the skills of it. He is not just speaking. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Tablar bol mukhe bola shaho kotin. It's very easy to speak the, to recite the rhythm of tabla, but to bring it in your hand, to bring that rhythm in your hand so that you can play that rhythm. It may need a lot of practice. So to be srotriyam may be easy. To learn, to be well-versed in the scriptures, that's not important. But to be brahmanishta, that speaks of the skill which you have already developed. You can always keep your mind engaged in that contemplation. So if you find anyone who is srotriyam as well as brahmanishta, then only you can consider him as your guru and approach him to be instructed in the knowledge of Brahmavidya. And the student himself should have the quality of not only humility, he should have also developed the detachment, which has been spoken of by the word that Pariksha Lokan Karma Chita. He have already examined that what all I can be attained by actions. He has examined and from that he have understood that with actions, I can never attain the ultimate and already has developed the detachment. So the Viveka and Vairagya has developed in him and with humility approaches the Guru who is already skillful in that path. Then only the instructions will become uh, fruitful. So there's one more mantra in this section. Uh, so we will study, which will continue in, the in describing the discipline to be attained by the Brahma Vidya. So that uh, we will again take the 13th and the last mantra, we will take up again in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.